0: Acts chapter 20. All right. Uh, Without doing a whole lot of uh, repeat on anything, Paul is is meeting for the final time with the uh, elders or the pastors of the church at Ephesus. Uh, He knows that it's the last time, and uh, the scriptures bear that out. Uh, He calls them together, and he is sort of repeating his history with them. He is reminding them of some things that, that he wants them to, to always uh, keep in the forefront of their minds. Uh, he talked in verses 17 through 19. He reminded them of his faithfulness uh, during persecutions and difficult times, what manner he had been with them at all seasons. Uh, in verses 20 and 21, he reminded them of his faithfulness In his preaching, he he kept back nothing that was profitable to them. He gave to them the whole counsel of God. Um, In verses 22 to 24, he talked about his faithfulness in his prospects. He knew from the Holy Spirit of God that when he got to Jerusalem, that bonds and afflictions awaited him there. I will read again for us verse 24. I have it marked in my Bible because it is an astounding statement. Paul said, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things Move me. Every time I read through that verse, um, I ask myself the question, what would it take to move me out of the service of the Lord? What would it take to make me quit or to give up or to turn back? I hope that I can honestly say with the Apostle Paul, nothing, none of these things move me. Um, but, but Paul, was, he was not boasting, he was not pretending to be spiritual, his life backed it up. Um, he was that committed to the service of Christ. Um, we looked uh, at his faithfulness in proclaiming the gospel uh, in verses uh, 25 through 27 and again in verse 31. Uh, and we spent some time last week, very sobering message on the subject of, uh, of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not optional. It is a commandment. The truth of the matter is, if we're not sharing our faith, we're not obedient Christians. Uh, Paul made the statement, look at verse 26, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. We went back to Ezekiel chapter 3. We referenced chapter 33 where God gave to the prophet Ezekiel the same message twice. And he compared him as a watchman on the wall. If you remember, I had uh, Tom Wineshank over here as a watchman, and we sort of illustrated out uh, about the job of a watchman and the responsibility that he had. God said, Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman on the wall. And if the enemy comes and you do not warn those people and they perish like that... Uh, he said, their blood is on your hands. And that is the reference that Paul is making here. And it is astounding, he said, I am pure from the blood of all men. That meant that there, everywhere he went, he witnessed to everybody came in contact with. We know from chapter 19 that during the time in Ephesus, everyone in that region called Asia, both Greek and Jew, heard the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man was a committed soul winner, and we need to take that to heart. We want to start tonight in verse 28, and and Lord willing, finish this chapter if we can. Uh, Paul's faithfulness in protecting the flock of God. Look at verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one, Night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. In the midst of all of this that he has spoken to the elders of Ephesus, to these pastors, he gets very, very serious with them in verse 28. Uh, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Now, remember, he's speaking to pastors. We know from the Scripture that we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone that names the name of Christ. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. But according to the Scriptures, pastors are held to a higher standard at that judgment. Because I not only give account for myself, I give account for you. Um, Were you fed? Uh, Were you cared for? Were you taught correctly? Were you encouraged to live for God? And uh, so forth. And so Paul tells these, these pastors, take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. Make sure you stay right with God. If you are a Sunday school teacher, if you are work with a junior church, can I, by extension, encourage you, take heed to yourself. We give out all the time. It's important that we have time alone with the Lord to take in or sooner or later... We're going to run dry, and we're not going to have that which we ought to give out. There's a stern warning that is issued here. Can I say this to you? Whether I am your pastor or the Lord tarries, and, and I'm taken to heaven, and, and another man stands behind this pulpit, pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. If anybody in the church has a target on their back, it is the pastor of the church. Um, uh, you, what's, what's the statement in the Bible? Smite the shepherd and what happens? And the sheep will be scattered. Some of you have lived through the, the heartache of a, of, a, of a pastor who didn't stay true and, and stumbled or fell um, and know the reverberations of that. Pray for your pastor. Um, I covet your prayers, not just about this issue but about everything, about my walk with God, about my joy. Um, that is one of the reasons why on, on weekends uh, I now text uh, about 70 to 75 pastors um, that I am praying for uh, from, from all over the country. Several missionaries in other countries are, are, are on that list uh, because I understand what they're going through. Uh, there's a friend of mine, Jim Montoro, Uh, pastors, uh, Pioneer Valley Baptist Church just across the state line in Westfield, Massachusetts. Uh, He has been to our men's conference, his wife's always with their ladies at ladies' conference. Uh, Their youth pastor and teens were here at Powerhouse. Um, Brother Montoro's had COVID three times, three times. The last time Uh, was uh, about a year and a half, uh, maybe two years ago. Uh, It damaged his heart, they think, permanently. Uh, It has caused issues, health issues for him, that the doctors have no idea what to do about it. He has migraines, um, and uh, nothing is helping with that. Um, He is a man, uh, an outdoorsman, A hunter, fisherman, he was also, um, you know, a bodybuilder type guy, spent time in the gym. Pastors a great church, God has used him in just great ways. Um, He now weighs less than I do. Um, He he is struggling with his health. And just a couple of days ago, um, he just, he sent me a text. Actually, it was last night. He sent me a text. He said, today is a particularly bad day. What do you do to encourage yourself when you don't think you can go on anymore? Do you understand? Preachers like that need a lot of prayer because he takes his, his, his uh, responsibility seriously, and he's got a church that he loves, and he doesn't want to step down. He hasn't felt the, the necessity from the Lord to do so yet, and his church has been much like you. They have said, we're, we're with you in this. Um, So yes, I need to take heed to myself. That is my responsibility. My walk with God is my responsibility. But I sure do appreciate the fact that you pray for me. And I hope that you'll never stop. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. And to all the flock. You have no idea how much your pastor watches out for you. Uh, You have no idea how aware I try to be of what's going on. Why do you think I ask you how many of you have a burden a need in your life for prayer? It helps me remember where you're at and to pray for you. That prayer list that goes out on Wednesday night uh, is often my manual as to what your needs are and how to pray for you. Uh, praying over messages and so forth. Uh, and sometimes, by the way, uh, I do it as your pastor. Uh, I think all all pastors do. Sometimes we preach a little hard. Sometimes the paint does peel off the wall. That's not because we're we're, we're uh, filled with hate. It's because we are concerned for you, or we're concerned for your for your kids. Uh, we are called to take heed to ourselves, but to all the flock, to all the flock. How many know the name Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards. Uh, what was his most famous sermon? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. There are buildings at Yale University that bear his name. Uh, Prolific author. Um, By the time uh, he entered Yale himself, uh, I think he entered at the age of 15. He was fluent in uh, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. He could read, write, and speak. Can you even imagine that? I'm barely fluent in English, uh, that type of thing. He had a brilliant mind. Uh, He pastored in Enfield, Connecticut. And that is where he preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He preached it to a Sunday morning crowd um, because he was convinced that many of his church members were not saved. It was a congregational church that sadly practiced infant baptism, and so many people were there. They figured they were fine because their parents had them baptized as an infant. And uh, he knew that uh, salvation is and baptism are not synonymous. And so he preached it, and there was no response whatsoever, none whatsoever. And and it, it tore him up. He fasted and prayed for the next two weeks for his church family because he, he was burdened that many of his church members were not going to go to heaven, that they were not saved. And at the end of two weeks of prayer and fasting, we're talking intense prayer and fasting, Uh, he re-preached the entire sermon. His sermon was written. He read his sermons in a monotone voice. That that is what his uh, biographers tell us about him. The second time he preached that is when the great awakening started. By the time he was done, lifelong members of that church uh, were weeping and begging God Uh, to save them. And uh, the Great Awakening started in Enfield, and it spread all over the northeast uh, and so forth. Um, And Jonathan Edwards uh, gave himself uh, to, to that revival that started. What a lot of people don't know is there came a day in that same church that he found out that the teenage boys had gotten a hold of a midwifery book, Uh, You didn't go to a hospital to have a baby. You you called a midwife that came to your home in those days. Somehow they came across a book that described things and had hand-drawn illustrations and so forth. And in that day and age in the 1700s, that was like pornography. And these boys had this book. He found that they were passing it around and so forth. And he preached against it. And their parents voted him out of the church. If you want to go see the church where the Great Awakening started, you can go to Enfield, Connecticut, but all you'll find is a stone in the front yard of a farmhouse, and that stone is engraved, and it'll say something like, this is where the church stood, where Jonathan Edwards preached the sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God on such and such a date, and this is where the Great Awakening began, the church no longer exists. See, he was trying to take heed to the flock also. Um, He was trying to protect young people from corrupted minds. Um, And uh, the people, I, I don't know why, why would you want your kid to have a dirty mind? But it's amazing what happens when it's our kids involved. Take heed therefore unto yourselves to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That's not a position of power, it's a position of responsibility, overseers, that's my job, is to oversee. Uh, The word is also used for the word bishop, that's the definition of the word bishop, an overseer, to feed the church of God. There's a lot in this statement, this is God's church, it is not mine. It is mine by participation, it is his by possession. It is His by purchase, because the Bible says, which He hath purchased with His own blood. We know that we are saved by the blood of Christ as individuals, correct? Do you realize God sees the church in its entirety as His by purchase of that same blood? That's one of the reasons I don't, I don't see church as optional. That which Christ died for is priceless, it is important. In in every way. Keep your place here. Turn to the book of Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 5. I don't know if we'll see these verses next week or not. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, the church is subject unto Christ. So let the wives be to their own husbands in every thing. Husbands also love your. I'm sorry. Husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Read the last few words with me, church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's what the church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be a holy place. It is a place where we as believers are sanctified, where, where we're growing in grace, we're becoming less and less like the world and more and more like Christ. By the way, as a pastor, uh, referring back to Acts 20, verse 28, that's part of my responsibility because uh, I'm not here to entertain you. Uh, my kids said that when I lost my leg, I also lost my funny bone. Uh, they don't understand that's from a different part of the human body. Uh, but, but whether or not I can tell a funny story or not, or a gym story or not, means absolutely nothing. Uh, I'm not here to entertain. The, uh, my, my job as a pastor is not to provide a service that is entertaining, I'm not here to put you in a mood. I'm not here to help you sway and have a bouncy feeling. That's not my job. I'm, I'm to feed you. I'm to feed you. Now, sometimes in, in, in our house, um, growing up and in, in after I got married, uh, we had meals that were fun. Birthday meals were kind of always fun When I grew up, Mom always made our favorite meal for us. My birthday was almost always a day or two before Thanksgiving, so I never got anything that elaborate, but my favorite meal anyhow wasn't elaborate. It was my Mom's homemade chili with her homemade bread. I could eat that every day of my life. Um, And so I knew on November 21st, put that in your notes so that you don't forget that, Uh, I knew that that's what we were having. And there was always uh, a made from scratch birthday cake, uh, made from scratch frosting on that. And uh, there were always birthday presents. And the birthday meal was fun. Once a year, the meal was fun. The rest of the time, it was boring. In the summertime, I grew up on a farm, we were poor. We seldom had meat, uh, but we had corn in the cob almost every night. Uh, We had green fried tomatoes almost every night. We had sliced red tomatoes uh, for tomato sandwiches. Um, We had fresh green beans, fresh peas, fresh uh, leaf lettuce and stuff like that. I guess that's kind of fun and so forth. But, but that's the way it was. Church, I know every now and then we'll have a special service and stuff like that, but most of the time it's supposed to be line upon line, precept upon precept. Um, if you come into church with an expectation, well, he's not entertaining me, you don't understand church. Uh, this is dinner time. Um, by the way, when, when we had dinner growing up, I lived in a day and age where once chores were done, we could get on our bike and take off and... Mom didn't even question where we were. How many lived in that world? You know, the rule was we had to be home by dinner. If we weren't home by dinner, oh, it was not a happy time in in, in our house at all. Uh, That type of thing. We were expected there because mom prepared a meal. Can I just say this? I expect God's people to be in church when the doors are open because whether it's a meal to your liking or not, I've done my best to prepare a meal for you. And I feel like when you're not here, that food goes to waste, and that's a sad thing. The family conference, uh, there'll be a bunch of people that need help, won't get it next week, not because Brother Bain is gonna drop the ball, not because Mrs. Bain's gonna drop the ball, it's just gonna be because they weren't here. The movie theater isn't gonna help your family. Netflix ain't gonna help your family. I'm, I'm just, little league ain't going to help your family, but church will. Um, I, I'm not getting very far, am I? So we're finding the pastor's responsibility. I'm trying to sort of let you in on what my calling's all about, what church is all about. And again, part of the importance there to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. That's how important church is. Church is not just essential when we're mad because there's a pandemic shutdown. Remember when everybody had that on their Facebook page? Church is essential and we're all mad at the government and then we open church up and they still didn't come. I don't, I don't get that. Uh, have you noticed, by the way, they're talking pandemic again? They're talking COVID and, and uh, masking up and all those kind of things. Uh, I think we need to be praying for our country. I don't think people are gonna go for it again. I'm just kind of putting this out there. Um, I've been praying about it. I don't sense any leadership from the Lord that I'm shutting the church down again. Um, you decide what you're going to do if that, that time comes, but um, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Anyhow, that commercial was free. Now, as Paul builds from this premise of take heed to yourself, pastor, take heed To the flock of God over which God's made you overseers, feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Here's one of the reasons why. Verse 29, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. The followers of God have traditionally, from Old Testament and New, been compared to sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So the flock is always a reference to the people of God. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was called the flock of God. In the New Testament, uh, the church is called the flock of God. And wolves have never been pictured as anything but evil. Never. Paul says, I I know this. There's no doubt in my mind that once I leave, he said, Mm -hmm. grievous, Wolves. Another word for grievous would be ravening wolves. He said, they're going to come in, they're going to enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Keep your place here. Can I get you to turn to Matthew chapter 7? Matthew chapter 7. The Savior issued the same warnings in the Sermon on the Mount. If you were here Sunday morning, we referenced a, a verse from here on the uh, the um, uh, golden rule, the do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, and uh, this is a message to followers of Christ. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So even the Savior issued that, that identical warning to his followers. He said, you need to beware. And, and he said, you need to understand this. They're not coming in saying, I am a false prophet. They're going to come in looking and sounding like us. They're going to come to you in sheep's clothing. But he said, inside, inside they, are, they are ravening Wolves. That is the same word, grievous, in Acts chapter 20. He said, verse 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. Fruits means the end result, what we produce. Okay? He said, you'll know what they are by that which they produce. They'll produce that which is not holy. Remember Ephesians 5, that it should be holy and without blemish. False teachers don't produce holiness. Uh, they, they don't produce spiritual growth. They don't produce spiritual fruit. You'll know them by the fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns? Yes or no? No. Do they gather uh, figs of thistles? Yes or no? No. Um, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, whereby by their or wherefore by their fruits he shall know them. History is replete with false teachers of all kinds. All kinds. When I was in Bible college in the uh, late 1970s, I remember uh, one night and at our break time, uh, everybody was talking about the news of a, a group of people from the People's Temple. How I many heard of them? Um, they were led by a pastor by the name of Jim Jones. Jim Jones started off. Uh, portraying himself as a Bible-believing preacher. And it is said that like David Koresh of the uh, of the group from Waco, Texas, that he could quote scripture by the hour. Uh, I mean, he had that much memorized and, uh, and so forth. He was a, a leader of a group called the Disciples of Christ. I don't know if you knew this, uh, but Ronald Reagan was a member of the Disciples of Christ, not that particular branch of it. Uh, but he portrayed him uh, himself as this. But little by little, he began inserting his own teachings and doctrines in there. Um, and uh, little by little, he won these people over that they no longer use the Bible as their source of truth. Uh, it was uh, his ability to uh, interpret the Bible. Uh, beware of people that tell you don't read the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses tell their people, don't read the Bible, it will corrupt you. What they mean by corrupt you is that it will expose their false teaching um, and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, it, it, he, he conditioned them, I am the voice of God for you. No, the Bible is the voice of God for us. I just happen to be a mouthpiece, and if what I say doesn't line up with the Bible, then it's time to get a new pastor. Right? Okay? But he taught them, you know, even if what I'm saying is different from what you know in the Bible, you listen to me. It got so bad, and while he was still in California, one Sunday he announced, uh, God has revealed to me that all of you are married to the wrong person. And he conducted a church-wide divorce ceremony and then repaired them up. And they went along with it. Um... Eventually, you know, over a thousand of of his followers moved with him to Ghana, South America, um, and uh, so forth. Uh, They should have known something was wrong, that he had uh, guard towers all around the compound, people up there armed with weapons, not to keep jaguars and, you know, uh, wild critters from the jungle from getting you, but from keeping you uh, from leaving. And of course, the, you know, there was the mass suicide where over a thousand people died. That's a false teacher, but understand he didn't come in teaching those doctrines. He came in pretending that he was a sheep, but he was a, he was a wolf. Uh, the Savior warned against it. We're back in Acts chapter 20, and Paul is saying you need to understand they're coming in. How are you and I supposed to know a false teacher? How? You have an iPad, right, Pat? No, we have a Bible. Why do you think that I I ask you to turn to scriptures? Uh, You you need to see uh, that that what I'm preaching or anybody behind this pulpit is coming from the Bible Um, and and so forth. And and you also ought to be looking at those scriptures to make sure that things aren't being pulled out of context because we can do that if we're we're not being uh, faithful to the word of God. You you got a Bible. Uh, Then you start watching the fruit of things. Is is this church moving in a direction that honors God? Or are we becoming more and more like a nightclub? Are we becoming more and more like the world? Um, And and all of those things. Uh, Paul's warning them it's going to happen. But look at verse 30. Not only are wolves going to come in from the outside. By the way, we've had them come in here since I've been pastor. We've had people that came in. And uh, you know, uh, wrote on their visitors card, "We'd like to, we, we'd uh, appreciate a visitor, a visit from the pastor, or whatever." And then you find out. Um, you know, they're, sometimes they're just real blatant. Uh, you know, you just, you're a good preacher and all of that, but, uh, you you, you need to let us come in and expound a little more completely the word of God. And oftentimes they teach that you can lose your salvation. Uh, a lot of other things. And we've had them from various groups. Uh, we've had Mormons come in here and they just take off their badge, you know, you know, elder Brigham and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, want to have Bible studies with our people and things like that. That's coming from the outside. We got the internet. Paul didn't have to contend with that. There are so many isms on the internet. Can I just tell you this? Why don't you stick to getting your doctrine at church? I'm not against listening to an internet preacher, but you better check him out. By the way, if you have to check her out, you already know your answer. She's unbiblical. Women can teach women, but women don't pastor churches biblically. But it's amazing how many fundamental Christians, women, are addicted to, like, Joyce Myers, who's a heretic in a lot of ways. Uh, she co-pastors with her husband, but you'll never hear him, hear him preaching because he didn't wear spiked high heel shoes. She may be a nice lady, I have no idea about that, but the Bible says she shouldn't be a pastor. But because we don't know the Bible, people just jump in. Be careful who you read, check them out. Just because you saw it on the Christian book distributors doesn't mean it's a Christian book. Um, But it's not just coming from the outside. Verse 30, also of your own selves shall men arise Speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Not only do we have to worry about corrupting influences from without. Paul's telling the pastor: you just have to be careful on the inside as well. Um, there, there's there, there's always going to be somebody that wants preeminence. Turn back, if you would please, to third John. Third John. That word popped to mind, and here's an example of that. Paul, or or, I'm sorry, John is, is writing here to a man by the name of Gaius. He says in verse nine I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, evidently a man within the church who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words. And not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. This is a guy within the church that just thought he was all that in a bag of chips. The preeminence is the word that John used. Um, And John was an, an apostle of Christ. Uh, hand-chosen, highly respected, greatly used of God. Um, and the word prating means uh, criticizing, uh, that type of thing with malicious words, trying to tear down John, trying to tear down his ministry, um, and and so forth. Be careful, all of us, people within the church that are always telling you the faults of everybody else in the church. You do understand that they're also telling everybody your faults. You do understand that. Gossips have no loyalty to anybody but themselves. And I learned a long time ago that those who are, who are tearing other people down to make themselves look more spiritual or more important, um, they're, they're just dangerous people. And this is what that Diotrephes was all about. And, uh, you know, if if other preachers came in, you know, he would tear them down as well. Uh, And if if you spoke out against him, he'd just want you out of the church, out of the way, Uh, and so forth. Um, Paul said that's going to happen. You need to watch for it. Um, you, You need to feed the flock, and you need to be on guard for this. Turn, if you would, please, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. This is the chapter where the Savior begins a series of parables. And look, if you would please, to verse number 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came, and sowed tares among the wheat, and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up, and did what? It brought forth fruit. Remember, Jesus said, you'll know them by their what? By their fruit. When it brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came, and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, an enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning to it. So he has given the, the, the parable, and he just moved on in verse 31, again in verse 33, to some more parables. In uh, verse 36, though, then Jesus sent the multitude away, went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Now, remember, this is their first time hearing it. So we've heard it before. We kind of already had a heads up when we looked at it. They want to make sure they got the meaning right, or maybe they just missed it altogether. Verse 37, "'He answered and said unto them, "'He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world, "'the good seed are the children of the kingdom, "'but the tares are the children of the wicked one. "'The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, "'and the reapers are the angels.'" As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend them which do iniquity, shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear." So we have this parable of the tares and the Savior's explanation of that. The tare is a particular plant. It goes by the name. It, it's not some, something we really think of a, a much in this part of the world. But in the Middle Eastern uh, world, it's called the Darnell plant. The Darnell plant. Um, the the tare, when it when it starts growing up, looks exactly like wheat. In a lot of cases... Um, it looks like very healthy wheat. The plants are, are, are oftentimes a little bit larger, healthier looking, and so forth. And it is not until not only they produce the fruit, but the fruit begins to ripen that you understand that the Darnell is in your field uh, because the, the grain on the Darnell will not be golden brown like wheat. It will be black or a very, very dark brown color. Um, it can cause severe sickness if consumed by human beings. Um, It generally, uh, believe it or not, is not harmful to animals, Uh, but wheat was not one of those crops that was generally grown to feed your cattle. Okay, that was, you know, that would be uh, barley or something like that. Wheat was almost always grown for human consumption, but if the Darnell was in there, um, you ran the risk of poisoning and too much of it could kill. Uh, it could kill a child. Uh, a lot of it could kill an adult, but it would definitely make one very, very sick. So it was a bad thing, okay? Um, in ancient times, um, you know, your, your food source uh, was always from a farm. You didn't go to Walmart or stop and shop or things like that. They did have open-air markets a little bit, but it was an agrarian culture. Um, There are two ways that you got um, the the upper hand, if you will, against an enemy or someone else. One was to defile or destroy their water source because without water, people can't live. That's why oftentimes wells had big stones placed over the mouth that it would take more than one person. In some places, they actually guarded the well if it was the only one in that region because if an enemy... Even if they just threw a dead animal in there, it would, it would ruin and corrupt the water source, and those people would have to leave the area or they risk contamination from it. The other is contaminate their food source, and so the sowing of tares uh, was actually a fairly common practice. The Savior's uh, parables and illustrations use things that these people understood. Um, the tare comes into the church, comes into the kingdom of God, looks just like us. Looks just like us, sounds just like us for the longest time. But again, it's when the fruit gets produced. Paul said, you need to be on guard. It's going to arise from your own selves. And sadly, I think there's not a church in existence that has not gone through the heartache of someone within the church that wanted their own following. Oftentimes, they're people with authority issues. Um, uh, and uh, sometimes they're people that get into their own brand of false doctrine. We had it creep up here about 15 years ago. Uh, maybe not even, not even that long. And uh, uh, just some false doctrine. And here's the sad thing. When you, when you finally realize it's there and you have to do something about it, you end up losing a whole lot of innocent people. In the case I'm referring to, we lost about 60 people in a year's time because of someone teaching false doctrine down in the addictions ministry. Um, the devil's real. Devil's real. That's the enemy. That's, that's what Jesus said. The enemy is whom? It is the devil. So as a pastor, I need to be on guard. As By the way, as church members, you ought to be on guard. You ought to be on guard. Sheep instinctively run away from a wolf. Unlike, you know, the Mickey Mouse or the Mighty Mouse cartoons that we all grew up with, that type of thing. Uh, sheep aren't uh, the, the smartest of animals, but, but uh, they're skittish animals. And if a wolf or a lion is there and has made himself known, that sheep's, that sheep's going to run, not embrace him. Let's go back to Acts chapter 20, and I, I'm not going to finish, but I, I, I will the next time we're together. Therefore, watch and remember, Paul says. Watch and remember. As a pastor, I'm to watch. I watch for your soul, Hebrews 13. I watch for your soul. I pray. Um, I, I don't sleep much um, these days. Uh, last night, the night before that. And um, I gave up commiserating over the fact that I can't sleep, and realized we live in perilous times. My church family needs prayed for. I pray for our teenagers. I really do. I, I'm burdened for our te- I'm burdened for our teenage young men. Uh, I'm burdened for our families. That's why we're doing a family conference. Um, I, I'm, I'm burdened. I've got a list of people in our men's prayer meeting. We got a list of people, almost all men, that we're praying for for salvation. You already know who one of them is. Uh, that type of thing. When I'm awake at night and, and praying like that, I'm watching. When I'm praying over messages, I'm, I'm watching. I'm, I'm watching for your soul. I want you to grow. I want you to be strong. I want your families to be strong. I want you to be safe. I want your kids to be safe. We live in such a corrupt, defiled world. Keeping our kids undefiled is a full-time job. Um, and, and, and I, I want to be as much of a help as I can. And Paul said, watch and remember. You watch, and now you remember what I did for you. That's why he took all that time uh, up through verse number uh, 27 to remind them because these pastors are now to do exactly what Paul did. Watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Night and day with tears. How many parents here have spent sleepless nights over one or more or all of your kids? Anybody? Maybe they were sick. Maybe they were struggling spiritually. Um, we, we've, we've all done that. Would you understand Your pastor does the same thing. Your pastor does the same thing. Paul said for three years, night and day, yeah, I warned you. I warned you about that mid-rifery handbook. Hopefully you're not going to kick me out of the church because I nailed your kids on something they were doing wrong. I was just trying to warn you because I love your kids. That's what Jonathan Edwards was trying to do, but the parents didn't get it. By the way, I believe they doomed their church to extinction. Um, Paul said, I want you to follow my lead and remember that's how I did it and that's how I want you to do it. So this is a, if you will, tonight is a Bible study, the pastor preaching to himself, maybe the pastor explaining himself to the people of God, but at the same time, encouraging the flock of God to understand uh, that you are loved and you are prayed for, please pray for your pastor. If we have that kind of a relationship there's no there's no telling what God can do. Amen. Amen. We need to stop there cuz the air conditioning went off. Amen. Let's pray together. Father